0: Welcome back, Professor Penn Podcast, Episode 79, on the 11th of December, 2023, Drums of War. That's the Foo Fighters. I could play that over and over again, over and over again. David Penn here, bringing you the Drums of War at the State Central Committee meeting of the Minnesota GOP. Drums of War. Glad to be back. A lot has happened. I want to thank the people that came to my social media and inquired as to where Free People Radio was this past week. And I want to share with all sincerity, I'm pretty organized. I'm not saying I'm never going to take a week off, but I take this very seriously. So if for some reason, You come at the appointed time and I'm not here. Maybe police call me crazy is not where it's supposed to be at the appointed time. You know, we have many other platforms, like Rumble, for example, the Rumble Channel. Well, let me read you something I wrote in response to this. And, you you know, we're an underground transmission. We have to communicate, obviously, in a way that is uh, intimate. Free speech is a description, and that description creates a distortion. The distortion is is that free speech is just about what people say. No, that's not the whole of it. For the people that hold power in the institutions that control our society, free speech is about much more than what people say it's more importantly about what people can create and the power that we, the people, have to act upon our creation. My creativity and your creativity cannot be legislated, but thought can be controlled by the rules of law around free speech. That which is used to protect me can also be used to harm me. It depends on who wields the power. We the people cannot self-govern unless each of us is guided by sacred honor. And I'm going to ask you to go back and listen to that because it explains part of what happened this past week. We were on hiatus, but we've returned wiser, stronger, more intense than ever. Now, I'm going to have to ask you to stay with me tonight, because we're going to be ranging over a big territory. It's a big territory, because in addition to the fact that we had a hiatus, oh, this past Saturday was a meeting of the Klan. And when I say the Klan, uh, it was a meeting of the Klan, the Min GOP State Central Committee. Of which yours truly is a elected delegate there was 224 people that arrived at the chapel where this event was held it was held in a chapel at a very wealthy private school not going to mention any names this is where the min GOP chose to put this event right here in Minneapolis in the heart of one might call the uni party, making it very difficult for the outstate people to drive in. You know, it's a big state. And in fact, it was snowing. So some people couldn't make it even if they wanted to. I'd had a kind of a rough week. Uh, I was sick all week last week, but not sick enough to sit on the bench, sick enough to stay away from people for the most part because I'm concerned about other people's well being. And as long as we're talking, I hope you're well. Hope you had a good week. Again, I want to thank the people that came to my social media inquiring after my well-being. Boy, that was cool. Boy, that was great. I'm starting to love this community because I'm going to give you the punchline up front. I know how to beat these people. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it together starting right tonight. The 12th of December, 7.30 p.m., this is the end for these people. And I know they're watching, so I want to say hello to all you. You know, I'm just going to say something as a sidebar. I said we have a wide range today. If you're a rhino, a neocon, a Unipartyist, when the American nationalists take over the party, we're not going to kick you out. We're going to give you a place that's not in leadership because unlike you people, we actually believe in working together with the broad coalition. You just can't lead because you're going to lead America to its end. I don't care if you're dumb or you're evil. For me, it's the same thing. I'm protecting my children from you, you neocon bastards. Anyhow, back to the show. I was sick all week, and Friday night I was not feeling good, and I had to be there at 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, I've been programmed. I can't go because I'm going to get other people sick. And I thought to myself, you know what? Not now. I'm not staying home. It's going to be a full, packed chapel. Many people are going to be carrying viruses. We're not safe. That's just the way it is. We could get sick. Being there was more important than anything else at that time. And I'm sorry, any of my cohorts that are listening, and if you've become sick and you were close to me, I'm sorry. I had to be there. And you know why I had to be there? Because I'm Professor Penn. So let me tell you what happened. We're going to run long today, but I'm going to try to make it fun. You know what shocked me? So many people are watching this podcast who are Minnesota GOP delegates. They walked up to me. They recognized me. They were excited to see me. Oh, Professor Penn, we're watching your podcast. So let me just say this right now up front, and this works for every state. Every state needs leadership. If you are watching this podcast and you are in Minnesota and you are an officer of the Republican Party of Minnesota, or a delegate to State Central Committee, or you're going to be a delegate to our endorsing convention, if that's your intention. I, Professor Penn, want to hear from you on Getter at Professor Penn USA. That's on Getter at Professor Penn USA. Please, let's get together. That's what this is about. This is a political-oriented effort. We're not up here. Well, you know, I want to be entertaining, and I know I try to be entertaining, and sometimes I succeed. But this is not about entertainment. This is about action. So go to Getter. Go to my Getter page, Professor Penn USA. Leave me a message. I'm going to get back to you. We're going to organize the state this way. Go to my X page. X. I'm going to read this because, you know, I don't want to screw this up. At the Prof Pen Podcast, P-R-O-F. P E N N podcast, the prof pen podcast at the prof pen podcast on X, go to my X account, leave a message. I will be getting back to you. If you're a delegate, you know, five or six or seven other delegates. We're going to get all the American nationalist delegates together now, because we gathered in that chapel together. We did. We gathered together. Now, of course, the GOP hierarchy, they're people, they have an opinion, they're American citizens, they're entitled to their opinion. We don't agree. We started the meeting, Oh, Representative Tom, please don't lie to me, Emmer, the best car salesman in the history of Minnesota, showed up to lead off with a stump speech. He showed up, gave his speech, the plea for unity. A subtle dig against the Trump movement, like we don't know what we're doing. Sorry, Tom, we do. Part of what we want to do is ask you to please start telling the truth, because there is no spiritual development without honesty. We are the honest movement. We are the movement of truth, truth truth-seeking, like here on Free People Radio, truth-seeking media. Representative Emmer showed up, and Representative Fishbach showed up. Oh, they rolled out some big guns to try to pacify the crowd with pleas of unity and to delay the whole event, to slow it down, because there was this tremendous wave of citizen activism to remove the hierarchy of the party. And, you know, the party, it runs by rules. It runs by rules, rules, rules. Robert's Rules of Order, the Minnesota GOP Constitution, the, the, the State Central Rules for the Meeting, rules, rules, rules. They use rules to stifle political conversation and dissent. There's nothing wrong with that. That's called using the rules. If you can get away with it, go for it. But the issue is, They will no longer be able to get away with it, and they know it. Their time is up. It is our time now. We are going to gather together, and it started at the state central meeting. I was not feeling well. I was actually slumped over in my chair. I wouldn't say I was in agony, but I was not like I am today. Today I'm like a rattlesnake in spring, full of energy, ready to go ready to rock and roll like the Foo Fighters, drums of war, the State Central Committee, the drums of war at the State Central Committee. And as soon as the opportunity presented itself, the American citizens started to approach the microphone and started to appeal to the hierarchy to resign, to go away, to depose these people because these are American nationalists Aligned with President Trump to varying degrees. I'm aligned with the ideas. I don't follow people. That's just me. Other people love President Trump, and that's just fine. I like the idea of borders, national sovereignty, American citizenship, ending the empire, a good economy, no debt, human well-being. You know, the kind of things that our leaders, if they cared about we the people, would provide for us. But not these people. These people are plotting behind the scenes to derail the Trump movement, the same way they took down the Ron Paul movement, the Tea Party movement. These people incorporate every group, take out the weenies, and push everybody else away. That's their thing. But you know, there's a new generation of folks that have rolled in here now, people like Professor Penn. And I'll just give you a little vignette. I was sitting there, not feeling well, quiet, minding my own business. And they picked this bully. His name's Dave Osmick. A bully. He was just openly a bully, running the meeting, intimidating the people, really being threatening. I don't like that. But I didn't feel well. I was quite quiet. And as the meeting went on, I watched progressive waves of American citizens come up and try to confront these people, and they got chopped down every time because, of course, they held the meeting in the Twin Cities. On the day of a snowstorm, they had a numerical advantage of rhinos in the room. For example, when Tom Emmer gave his short and brief address before he went off to another meal, he said, oh, if you're a military veteran, Please stand up. We want to honor you. And my God, there is military veterans everywhere. Not that any individual military veteran is good or bad. I respect any warrior for their warrior behavior. But when these warriors align themselves with neocons and empire, and they're going to kill me, I'm very sorry, Mr. Warrior, you're no longer really on the front lines. You're sending other people to die. Somehow, you missed something in that experience. So we had a, a warrior sprinkled throughout the entire room. You, all you had to do is look to your left and your right, and you realize that Min GOP is run by ex-military people. Almost everybody at, on the stage stood up. And I was sitting there and I was in pain, didn't feel good. And then something happened and I made a comment. And this bully, Dave Osmick, looked at me and he said, do you want to leave? And I didn't hesitate. I shot up like a rocket and I said, no, I want you and everybody else on that stage to resign. And then he said, remove this man. They wanted to remove Professor Penn, a Jewish man, from a GOP event. Now, I know you guys are listening to me, so just remember, the next time you mess with me, it's going to be personal, so keep your hands off me. And let me tell you what the result of this was, not to get into the details. I didn't leave. I stayed, and I continued to vote, even though they told me to leave. Isn't that interesting? They learned something. We the people are not afraid. You know, in the 1930s, um, and we've talked about this a lot, in Germany and in the 20s, there was really three groups. There were the communists, and the communists, of course, believe in a totalitarian, godless state, and industry is owned by the state, There were the fascists, who believe in a totalitarian, godless state. And in that model, because they believe it's more economically efficient, private industry is kept in the hands of private parties who align themselves with the state. That's our current formation of government here, fascist. And then there were the Christian Democrats, who the pope sold out and disbanded in 1933. Those were the three primary groups And to the people who are the puppet masters behind the scenes, they don't really care if the communists or the fascists win. They let them fight it out in the streets to see who's more badass. Both groups, the communists and the fascists, seek to destroy the Christians because they're different. They believe in God. So we have two godless totalitarian supporting groups, communists and fascists, and we have Christians, or Judeo-Christians we might call it today, and that's exactly what's happening today. And this beautiful man, and I hope he can contact me and he sees this podcast, and I'm trying to search him down. He identified himself as a PhD professor and he knew the rules better than the people up on the stage. And they sought to beat him down. And it was hilarious. He said, I feel like I'm in Nazi Germany in 1933. And Osmick says, Remove this man, only proving that it was like Germany in 1933. Isn't this interesting that history repeats itself? We haven't come very far. That's why in the Professor Penn podcast, we pay a great deal of attention to history, how we got to where we are. And we're going to do that again today. But we're going to organize now. We're going to use this podcast, this channel, Free People Radio, and thank you to Free People Radio, for giving us this platform to seek the truth with you. Now, I know I'm fired up today, but these people laid hand on me, okay? So all of you that are watching, that are Minnesota GOP delegates, please, I'm asking you, Courage is Contagious, come to the social media, come to Free People, come. Professor, the prof, let me read it again. I'm old, I don't want to get it wrong. On X, come find me at P-R-O-F, the abbreviation for Professor, Prof. Penn Podcast, at Prof. Penn Podcast. On Getter, come to The Professor, written out completely, The Professor Penn USA. Come find me. Each one of you know five or ten other delegates. We're going to get everybody together now. We're going to contact every state central delegate. That's an American nationalist. We'll let the neocons do their own thing. We only want the people that love America, the non-globalists, the people that love the country. We're going to get together. We're going to have a monthly Zoom meeting, the potency of which has been proven by Steve Stern, who holds a national Zoom meeting for both the precinct strategy and for election integrity. We're just going to have a statewide Minnesota officer Zoom meeting to coordinate, to share, to create together, to make bonds of friendship among ourselves, to get together. This is going to happen very quickly. I am not asking to lead, I'm asking to be part of a great movement of American citizens that wash this dirt off of our country's history. In Germany, In the 20s and 30s, we had fascists, a left-wing socialist group, the National Socialists, the Nazi Party. We had communists. The powers that be that funded these groups did not care who won. Both of them resulted in a totalitarian, godless, Darwinist state. And then there was the Christian Democrats who were betrayed by the Pope and disempowered. We learn from our past. We are the Judeo-Christian inheritors of this tradition. We will not be disbanded. We will not be sold out. We are ideologically and spiritually correct. We have a better, more developed ideology. Our spirituality is better. Our health is better. We're just better. And they don't like that. So they can join us or they can get, you know, be like Custer. It doesn't matter to me. I mean the metaphorical Custer, of course. Professor Penn does not believe in using violence. But I was violently attacked. Dave Osmick, words are things. You are a bully. A bully has no place in the GOP of Minnesota. Of course, they put you there to lead that event to bully the people. And when I shot up and looked you right in the face and said, resign, you knew you could not bully me, and so did everybody in that room. And that is a shot that might be heard around the world, an ideological shot. We eschew violence. I reject violence. This is a competition of ideas. Our ideas are better. Your ideas suck. And what is the evidence? $33 trillion of federal debt. Forever wars and our borders are open. You, MINGOP, GOP, are participating in a uniparty system that has that as the outcome. We, the people, suspect you. We don't need you to leave the party like you're trying to force us out. We're not going anywhere. We don't want to force you out. You can have a place in the party. You just can no longer lead the party because you have proven to we, the people, that your leadership results in the degradation of our lives. That's it. Very simple. So a lot has happened. Caucuses are coming up on February 27th. We're going to learn a lot about that. Thank you for listening to me. And please listen to this. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for my American courage. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and king of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully transgressed. For you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. You are gracious and ever willing to forgive. Who are these people that lead men GOP? Elia, could you please play number two?
1: The new president calls a special meeting of senior Ba'ath party members, which he records. This is the actual footage of what is one of the most notorious events of Saddam's
2: reign. People are invited to the Congress without knowing what is on the agenda. It starts with Saddam announcing that something very sad and tragic happened.
1: He claims he's uncovered a conspiracy against him.
3: <laughs>
1: he then introduces senior Baath Party member Muhi Abdal Hussein Mashabi, the man Saddam claims is the plot's ringleader.
2: You can actually see how frightened he is when he starts telling the story of the conspiracy. Ash-Hadani was simply
1: promised his life in exchange for mentioning the names. Mashadi starts naming names. His fellow conspirators, he says, are in this very room. Members of the security
2: services, now under Saddam Hussein's stepbrother, Barzan Tikriti, take them out.
1: Ten men are removed.
2: Nobody knows if I'm going to be next or not.
1: Then another 10. And you see the faces of these people. They are as white as snow. Then another 10. That fear that
2: he evoked from these people, he enjoyed. Saddam is smoking. One of those uh, Cuban cigars that was uh, given to him by his uh, friend, Fidel Castro.
1: He's very calm, very cool. Then 10 more. He sat back, smiled, smoked his cigar, and he was thrilled. He was enjoying the power, and he knew that now he was going to have unrivaled power. Those left they had one choice and that is to be loyalist extreme loyalist and to, and to pledge their fealty to Saddam
4: Hussein you
3: have this ecstasy of the whole
1: hall exploding in long live
2: Saddam long live the bar
1: in total 66 alleged traitors are removed a third are executed by firing squad including Mashadi. the purge of 1979 is a watershed is a watershed from now on everybody is on notice You don't antagonize Saddam under any circumstances. Don't even try it. That's 1979. That's when Iraq is becoming a real dictatorship. In just a couple of hours, Saddam Hussein eliminates any traces of political opposition. He has achieved total power.
0: Oh, that's just great, isn't it? Isn't that fantastic? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, That was Dave Osmick at the Minnesota GOP State Central Committee playing the role of Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. Get out, Professor Penn. Get out, he screamed. Take this man out of the room. Of course, these people are not yet Saddam Hussein. Of course, they may aspire to become that. I don't know. I'm not in their heads. They were certainly sitting up on the stage enjoying the power, beating people down intellectually. They loved it. This is what happens in political parties when dissent is squelched. Now, we do it a different way here in Minnesota. We talk about unity all through the Republican Party nationally, unity, unity. There is no unity with people who believe in the efficacy of forever wars, who support a budget that bankrupts the currency, and who have the border open, allowing millions of military-aged males to enter the country. We cannot be unified with you, and we are not fooled by your protestations that you're going to do something about this because we have something God gave us. It is called a memory. We have a memory. That's why we do the Professor Penn Podcast. Now, I don't want to just take the whole podcast and be morose because these people will depress you hanging around. You know, this is part of the deal. When they populate the hierarchy with assholes, good people don't want to participate. Well, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to get more and more good people going, I'm going to head someplace with you here, and then we're going to move on with today's events. Could you please play number three?
5: Most triumphant and loving God, we come today. But tomorrow they will protect this country from all enemies, foreign and domestic, even if it calls for the last full measure of the motions. They come today to compete, but tomorrow they will unite to convey to the world that there's no better friend nor worse enemy than the United States warrior. You know them by name. They are game changers patriots, heroes, overcomers, and those that were there to take this republic to the next level for your glory. So as we the people, of the people, and by the people, assemble here today, stretch forth your hand of favor and increase our faith. For you remind us that all things are possible to those that dare to believe. For we still believe that the best is yet to come. Now receive all of your glory, your power, and your honor forever. Amen.
0: Isn't that great? That was the Army-Navy game this past weekend. A beautiful religious invocation. We hear so much about the military becoming woke, and that's probably true. We are what people teach us, particularly when we're young and we can't get outside of ourselves to look at the other street corners. We're just trying to get A's and stay in the academy. I get it. But look at that beautiful invocation. They don't have control of the military or the hearts and minds of our young people. That was a beautiful invocation. And let's go a little bit further, a little bit of toxic masculinity to start the day. Play number four, please. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Oh, that's so great. Bleed a little. Bleed a little. And then get up. Get up. Get up! Now, we have a leader. He is bypassing the Republican Party because he knows that the Republican Party is completely against him. But he doesn't care because he knows that Professor Penn And about half the people participating are American nationalists, not globalists. We're against the empire. We want a border. We want well-being for our children. Well-being. Real well-being. Real well-being. So, play number five, and I will show you how we're going to get up off the floor and proceed. (laughs)
1: Making America Great Again starts one place on earth and one place only, right here in Iowa. Monday, January 15th, 7 p.m. Be there because it's caucus night. Now you may say to yourself, self, I've never been to a caucus, how does it work? You've come to the right place because for the next two minutes, Marlin's going to tell you everything you need to know about how to successfully caucus for President Trump.
6: Caucusing is super easy. Before we get going, let's make sure you are eligible to caucus. Time to check with the lawyers. For that, here's Margo from the law firm of Dewey, Dewey & Chittister. To vote at a caucus, you must be at least 18 years old, but here's the kicker. That's 18 by November 5th of 2024, Election Day. (laughs) Okay, so now you know you're eligible to vote in the Iowa caucus. Woohoo! How simple is it to caucus? As simple as this. Wait, that's that's the wrong one. As simple as this. Three easy steps. Step one, make sure you're eligible. Done. Okay, step two, do you know where your caucus location is? Now be careful, the correct answer isn't necessarily your regular voting location. I'm throwing you a lifeline here. You can easily find your caucus location and lots of other information by going to DonaldJTrump.com slash Caucus. Now, a quick time management lesson. It's Monday, January 15, Caucus Day. You wake up at 5 a.m. because you are so excited to caucus for President Trump. So what time should you get to your caucus location? Aren't you the go-getter? You don't need to be to your caucus location until 6 p.m so no excuses for being late. And finally, step three, register once you get to your caucus. Now, if the line is long, don't panic. I said, don't panic. Sorry. The lines move very quickly and once you're in line, you can't be turned away, so hang in there. Okay, starting exactly at 7 p.m., it's time for democracy to begin. First, you will hear a few brief speeches. Then paper ballots for voting will be distributed, collected, and counted, all in front of you. Easy peasy. And that's the first step to making President Trump our next president and making America great again. What
0: was missing there? Did you notice any reference to the Iowa GOP? President Trump doesn't need the GOP. He's depending on us, the GOP activists, to build the party. And I'm going to say to Min GOP, Professor Penn just wants to bring more people into the party. I want to bring in more people to your party, to our party. you want to criticize me for that? Please do it in public so we the people can hear what Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans said. That's why we call him Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans. And he was standing up on the stage. That was great. That's just the way it is. Mr. History Doesn't Matter was there. Of course. Oh, and on the stage. Mr. We Don't Do That Here. They were all there, the Three Stooges. No problem. They know who they are. But this is how we take that energy of that pep talk, and we get out and we do something for our country. We go to caucus. Now, this is for Iowa. I've already reached out to the Trump campaign. We'd like one of these for Minnesota. We are going to get you the information you need to go to caucus, and whatever state you're in, There's some process like this. Look at how cool this is. This is so cool. We don't have to give our energy to people that disrespect us, that are trying to suppress us, that are trying to depress us. We don't have to do that. We just have to go in as American citizens and pursue the path of civic participation and responsibility. And that's what the Professor Penn Podcast is all about. We're going to get that Zoom call together. The activists, we are going to gather. But I asked myself, when I came home from this event where they laid glove on me, who are these people and why are they the way they are? And I've made this comment many times. The average age of the Republican in Minnesota is 462 years old. 462. cryptkeepers, right? Where do these people get their ideology? And I saw something, guess where? On MSNBC. We must watch a wide range of media to get the opinions of people standing on various street corners. And I heard something on MSNBC that really made this clear to me. And that's going to be the subject of the remainder of our podcast today. Who are these people? And on MSNBC, they're very concerned about Professor Penn. I'm a, a Jewish man. I'm a white Christo nationalist. The great I'm a greater threat, according to James Carville, I'm a greater threat to the United States of America than Osama bin Laden. I mean, when all else fails, just throw shade on people. Lie, lie, lie. Like Joseph Goebbels. Tell the lie long enough and often enough, and people will believe it. Unbelievable, isn't it, that they would say that about people that love God and love country and love family? But, they, you know, that's not their thing. They love empire. They don't believe in God. And they're Darwinists right here in the Min GOP. Who are these people? Where did they come from? And MSNBC said it so eloquently. Oh, the Trump movement is attacking the party of Reagan. I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. Who are these Reagan people? Because I did not like President Reagan in 1981. And I know that, and this goes back to Susan leaving a beautiful comment. She thought Reagan was a uniter. And everyone has an opinion, and I respect everybody's opinion. And I understand how Reagan was a uniter. But the rest of this podcast will be devoted to who are these people and where did they come from? They come from an intellectual tradition. You know, in the last three and a half years, food, the food I buy for my home, has increased in price by 34%. I have the receipts. You know, just the common things like coffee and eggs and bread and chicken and beef, 34% in three years. That's a 10% annual increase in the cost of me feeding myself, and the cost of me feeding my family. That's a lot of inflation. Where did this come from, this current uh, formation of political economy? Elliot, can you please play number six?
7: What do you think is going to happen? Now you've been asked this question. I'm sure you knew that I was would might possibly bring it up tonight. Uh, there's an election coming up. You're uh, you're out of politics now, but you, you're speaking, and as I say, you're going around the country. Do um, you envision a possibility? Uh, say in '76, if the convention say was deadlock, I'm giving you all the theories and so forth, and the conservatives took over possibly and got control of the. Uh, of the electoral process, and they couldn't quite make a decision, and they came to you and said, uh, "Governor Reagan, uh, we can't decide between Mr. Ford, and Mr. Rockefeller. We're divided. Um, would you like to? Uh, would you like to go to the White House?" Uh, you remember that answer I gave you about the CIA? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, come on! I know. I won't buy that. I'm not going to buy that. I, I can understand the CIA now, but. Uh, no, I, I... thought that was delicately phrased. I... Yes. <laughs> verbose, but delicate. Yeah. Verbose, but delicate. <laughs> I... Uh, no, I think it's an unanswerable question. I don't think anyone in view of the things that have gone on the last few years knows what's gonna happen in the, in the next two years mm-hmm. down the road. I think that everyone should hope and pray that people that are there will do the job so well that there won't be any question mm-hmm. about it. Because if they do, then everything's all right with the rest of us. Uh, you think they're doing their job well? Well, I agree with some things and disagree with others. When they, when, they give me a, when they give me a choice between a $53 billion deficit in the budget and an $80 billion deficit, when budget deficits are what's causing inflation, I don't see that there's any room to be on either side of that argument. Yeah, I think, I think the minutes. answer to curing inflation is a balanced budget. Now, how do you do that? I mean, well, it's not, how do you balance the budget? Well, balancing the budget is like protecting your virtue. You don't spend virtue. more than you take in, right? No, it's like protecting your virtue. You have to learn to say no. <laughs> Thank
4: you.
0: Thank you. So President Reagan uh, ran as a deficit hawk, pitching the American people on the importance of fiscal responsibility. You must remember this is right after President Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard in 72, And the formation of the modern American empire was well underway, well underway. And Reagan, Reagan, President Reagan, the hero of the neocons, the people that are controlling the Republican Party, doubled the debt to GDP in eight years. When he entered as the president in 81, there was a $1 trillion debt. When he left, it was $3.1 trillion. Now, the economy grew from $3.2 trillion to $5.2 trillion. But the fact is, as a factor of the GDP, Reagan, the hawk, the deficit hawk, doubled the debt. Now, we're going to talk about Reagan for a couple of podcasts. Today we're going to delve into two issues with Reagan, the economy and relations amongst the people. We're going to look at him in a new light because his heirs are controlling the Republican Party. His heirs are continuing to run up this massive deficit. His heirs have opened the border. His heirs support health care for all. His heirs support empire. That's what his legacy has morphed into. And, you know, when you think about it, and I was there, I was there as a young man when Reagan uh, took over in 81. The Fed funds rate was 12%. That means if you owned a business, you were paying like 14 15% interest. But interestingly, before that, in the Carter administration, the much maligned Jimmy Carter administration, Paul Volcker, the chairman of the Fed, raised the Fed funds rate in 1980 to 18%. 18%? Of course, Carter was a one term president. The Fed took him out. We need to start to look back at this history and rediscover it. Jimmy Carter is much maligned. I was there. He was honest. He might not have been a great leader, he might have been very ill-prepared for the job, but he had sacred honor. He had sacred honor, and this I respect. He did not lie. And for that reason, boom, 18%, and out he went, and Reagan came in in 81, and that Fed funds rate went down all the way to 6%, which seems high by today's standards. But we're not far from there. I think we're at 55 so we're right there at that Reagan-esque period very difficult to make money like that. We just came off of a decade of free money. What kind of scam was that? Nothing's for free. It's time to pay the bill. And you know who's paying it? Private business people like Professor Penn, because you can't run a business when the interest is this high. They're breaking everybody. All the little people, cast them aside. That's the heirs to the Reagan tradition. And during the Reagan tradition, you know, during his presidency, Spending on the military ran, well, between 6 and 7% of GDP. That's a lot of money, and they want to get that back today. These same people that are running our party here in Minnesota, they'd like to double military expenditure because that's what we are. We're an empire, an empire, an empire. Now, Reagan. Reagan. Reagan lived a long time. And he presided over a period of really phenomenal change. He was born in February 6, 1911, and he lived to June 5, 2004. That was a period of phenomenal change, phenomenal change. And most of you don't even have anybody you ever talked to that went through that. I did. I mean, I had, my grandmother was born, and they had, you know, chickens in the front yard, and they were riding horses. And by the time she was, you know, an older adult, she was flying to Italy. So that's a lot of change in one lifetime. Let's look at what happened in our culture. A little bit of entertainment, but it kind of sets the tone of what happened in our heads. Could you please play number seven?
7: Lucky Strike presents mark wallow and the lucky strike orchestra the hit paraders and the singing star of your hit parade frank sinatra sometimes
3: i wonder why i spend the lonely night dreaming of a song the melody Ah, but that was long ago And now my consolation Lies in the stardust of a sun, the sun
0: Hit of 1940, Stardust, sung by Frank Sinatra, the young Frank Sinatra, sponsored by like Lucky Strike cigarettes. We had an orchestra in the background. You know, it was not a, you know, drums and bass. It was an orchestra with strings, beautiful, virginal looking women in a chorus, gorgeous. It was a different period. President Reagan, in that long life from February. February 6, 1911, through June 5, 2004, he presided in his lifetime over one of the greatest historical changes in world history, from a religiously focused, God-centered worldview to a scientific, Darwinist-centered worldview. It happened in his lifetime, and that's why he's such an interesting president, because he really was promoting the scientific view of empire and wrapping himself in the history of faith, which was the bedrock of our country. He was a very interesting man. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. This was the number one hit in 1940, just before the United States entered World War II. Well, let's take a look at what happened just after World War II, a very famous movie in 1950 starring Betty Davis. Please play number eight.
8: Get up. And please stop acting as if I were the queen mother. I'm sorry I didn't.
9: Outside mean... of a beehive, Margot, your behavior would hardly be considered either queenly or motherly.
8: You're in a beehive, pal, didn't you know? We're all busy little bees, full of stings, making honey day and night. Aren't we, honey? Margot, really? Please don't play governess, Karen. I haven't your unyielding good taste. I wish I could have gone to Radcliffe, too, but father wouldn't hear of it. He needed help behind the notions counter. I'm being rude now, aren't I? Well, should I say, ain't I?
7: You're maudlin and full of self-pity. You're magnificent. How about calling it a night?
8: And you pose as a playwright. A situation pregnant with possibilities, and all you can think of is everybody go to sleep.
7: It's a good thought.
8: It won't play. As a non-professional, I think it's an excellent idea. Excuse me. Undramatic, perhaps, but practical. Happy little housewife. Cut it out. This is my house, not a theater. In my house, you're a guest, not a director. Then stop being a star. And stop treating your guests as your supporting cast.
7: Now, let's not get into a big hassle. It's
8: about time we did. It's about time Margot realized that what's attractive on stage need not necessarily be attractive off. All right. I'm going to bed. You be host. It's your party. Happy birthday. Welcome home. And we who are about to die, salute you.
10: Need any help?
8: To so put me to bed. Take my clothes off. Hold my head. Tuck me in, turn out the lights, and tiptoe out. Eve would, wouldn't you, Eve? If you'd like? I wouldn't like.
7: Oh, I forgot I had... Well,
0: this is a setup for the next bit, but we can see... The tremendous change in just ten years, from nineteen forty to nineteen fifties, to nineteen fifty, the whole tone of the culture had changed. Of course, we, would as a culture, just gone through World War II, which we're going to talk about a little bit downrange here. But look at look at the, how the dress had changed. You know, the shoulders were exposed. the 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 dialogue was raw. There was sexual tension that had not existed previously in the society. And I played Betty Davis because of her eyes. Betty Davis' eyes. She looked like she was high, and that was quite attractive. And that led to a great number one hit, a song I thought was quite trite at the time. And in listening to it again, I didn't like it. But because it was the number one hit in 1981 when President Reagan became president, it really typifies the change from Frank Sinatra in 1940 to 1950 to 1981. The 1981 number one hit, Kim Carnes, Betty Davis Eyes. Please play. She's
11: pure as New York
8: snow. She got Betty Davis eyes.
3: And she teased easy. She learned he's you. That's
0: good, huh. you know. I didn't like this song when it first came out. It it really has uh, failed the test of time. But what's interesting about it is if we juxtapose it to 1940s Stardust, to just 41 years later in 1981, when President Reagan took the office, what do we see? We see a woman dressed as a man, and just Openly singing about cocaine. I mean, New York snow. Come on, pure as New York snow? Hey, if you've ever been in New York when it snows, it doesn't stay pure for long. She's talking about drugs. So in 41 short years, we went from a very God-centered appearance and focus in our country to a drug sexually amorphous center. 41 years. How did that happen? And President Reagan spanned that entire time period. So for people of my generation, he's great. It's all the drugs and all the sex you want, but we believe in God. It's great, isn't it? You know, it's great. You can have your cake and eat it too. The President Reagan people, the boomers, the narcissists, the all-about-me people, the libertarians, the people that don't care about their children or their parents, they only care about what's in their pocket. The boomers, the materialists, the Darwinists, the Christians in name only. Oh, yes, the Christians in name, only. in name only. Name only. Let's wrap our neocon enterprise in the cloth of faith. This has really been going on a long time. Wrapping that spear. You know, this is a violation of the commandments, you know. Don't use the Lord's name in vain, but that's for another podcast. Lots of change. Now let's look at Reagan a little bit more specifically. This is uh, what he was really famous for. Uh, Number 10. Could you play number 10?
7: George. Yes, you are. George, this telegram just arrived from Walter Camp. You've been named fullback on his All-American team. Me? You wouldn't kid me, Rock. No, it's on the level. You're gonna be all right, kid. I haven't got a complaint in the world, Rock. I'm not afraid. What's tough about this? Rock. Someday, when the team's up against it, the brakes are beating the boys. Ask them to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the Kipper. I don't know where I'll be then, but I'll know about it. I'll be happy.
0: So there we have the uh, young Ronald Reagan, which really established him playing George Gipp. Now, this is a little bit of Americana history, a little Americana. Uh, There was a George Gipp. He was a star halfback uh, for Notre Dame. And uh, he passed away in 1920 just after starring in many football games. He died, interestingly, at the age of 25 of a streptococcal throat infection and pneumonia. It was just three weeks after a great victory over Northwestern. And this is a scene in a movie where this death was you know memorialized, and you know the little bit of the heaven thing and the God that was holy, and he was virginal and young and gorgeous and dying a martyr. And this was part of the Reagan Mystique that he played George Gipp, where he said to Newt Rockney, who was the coach in Notre Dame, win one for the Gipper. This was all very powerful in the minds of Americans, lost to us today. That's why you have Professor Penn to bring us back so we know where we came from. Because this depiction of Reagan was critical to his persona. And he even referred back to it when he was president. I mean, this was the deal. This was the linchpin of Reagan. But let's see who Reagan became just a few years later. Could you play number 11?
7: Modern lighting makes a great deal of difference in the way you live. Now, this is an open court off our living room. Eye-catching, isn't it? The lighting is pale blue, very cool-looking. This, of course, is our living room. You know, Nancy, we'll see Patty later on.
12: Hello. Our lighting in here is rather interesting, too. See? Over the sofa and over each chair, are individual lights built right into the ceiling? They do marvelous things for the room. Around
7: the edges of the room, set in the ceiling, are rows of fluorescents. They bathe the walls in light, make the room more alive and cheerful. And bigger, too. Notice?
12: Now, over here in the dining room, the mood's entirely different. See, up there in the ceiling? Around the chandelier are a string of lights, 12 of them, like a necklace of jewels.
7: Some are pink, some gold, and some blue white. When they're all on together, we have a white effect. By turning the knobs of this dimmer, we can change the colors, mix them, and get different effects.
12: You can have a warm yellow tone, or a more flattering pink, or a cool blue. I wish you could see the colors.
7: We can make the lights softer, or bring them up higher. Now, I want to show you the most exciting thing.
12: Now, let's save the big surprise to last, shall we?
7: All right. Lighting helps us live better all over the house. Now, if this weren't a company night, uh, we'd probably find Nancy in the bedroom.
12: Reading, and the light's just perfect for it. The correct distance up and behind. And look at this, a switch that controls the lights all over the house, inside and out. I press the button, they go on instantly.
7: Patty might be in her playroom. That's her doll, Cynthia, she's playing with. Notice the lights, they look like Japanese lanterns and they're just as colorful. Meanwhile, back in the den, Papa Reagan might be going over his script. And that's ideal soft, over-the-shoulder light. So you see how modern light conditioning helps us have a more livable house.
12: You haven't forgotten the surprise, have you?
7: No, ma'am. We have a dimmer control for the living room, too. Watch when I turn it down.
12: Isn't it lovely? That's the view from our picture windows.
7: Well, those are some of the things we've done with lighting in our home. Might give you some ideas to help you see better and look better and live better in your home and to make your surroundings more colorful and cheerful.
12: We hope so, because we'd like everybody to find out how wonderful it is to live better, electric.
0: Oh, better living through science. So we have, there it is, Ronald Reagan, you know, playing the martyr, George Gipp, passing away as a young man off going to heaven, speaking in very religious terms, his death inspiring the play of those that came after him. And that same man now, selling for GE, selling science, the benefits of science to the American people, this man spanned both eras, the religious and the scientific. And that's why his appeal was so great, because he was able to wrap empire in deficit spending And war in the cloth of faith. And he did a great job of it. And his heirs control the mechanisms of the Republican Party. They are the people that hold the power. They're the people that protect the empire and take our money away to fund it. And as we remember, only half, only half, could have been worse, only half of the weapons that they counted this year, $2 trillion. Disappeared, they can't find it. Oh, these people are such good stewards of the people's money. You know, that sounds like a mafia operation to me, robbing the inventory and staying in power. How do you do it? You have to control things, and they're excellent at it. In the meantime, the sanctity of life. Oh, the sanctity of life. How wonderful. Let us play bit 12 yet again. Or context.
2: A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. How to do this? three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together.
4: So the eight sleep is a pod well, cover there we that go. Fit- we,
0: we are dependent upon. An informed and engaged citizenry—that's what we're doing here. And these Reaganites who are controlling everything. They really are downstream of Eisenhower, who at the end of his presidency had a moment of clarity, almost like a moment of contrition, because the formation of this military-industrial complex, of course, happened during World War II and right after. But it was really solidified in the Reagan period. That's when we got guns and butter at the same time, when we started running these huge deficits while we funded wars all over the world and that's where we're living today in a bs story where we're going to spend all this money that we don't have to pursue an empire which is not american we are not an empire we are a people that rejected empire when we rebelled against the british and let me remind everyone that george washington crossed the delaware river on december 25th, 1776, Christmas Day. There was no rest for General Washington and his valiant rebels. No rest. And that's where we are this December. There's no rest for Professor Penn. And for those of you that love liberty, for those of you that love God in this country, we just don't get to rest this year. We have work to do. That's just the way it is. So while Eisenhower was telling us to beware right after World War II, let's see how successful this was. Let's play number 14 and number 15 back-to-back, please.
13: The United Nations troops push on in the cautious advance against the communists, an advance whose purpose, General Ridgway states, is not to seize ground but to wipe out the enemy. The Chinese Red Army, fighting desperately in small isolated stands, prefers to give ground on wider fronts rather than join battle, and it's up to the infantry to clear out the pockets of die-hard communists. With the enemy falling back to the Han River, United Nations commanders had expected that the Reds would make their stand there, but under a steady withering barrage, GIs are able to cross the river and establish a beachhead. Within two hours, a pontoon bridge spans the Han, and United Nations troops and equipment pour across toward the capital city of Seoul. Moments later, Chinese communists, prisoners are being marched to the rear. Seoul, too, falls into United Nations' hands, this time not as a prime military target.
0: So this was a big war. Over 50,000 Americans died in Korea. Carnage, unimaginable. Millions of Koreans died. Millions. Millions of Chinese died. It was a bloodbath there and we just continued with the forever wars. This was the process where the forever war started because if you're going to have a permanent military industrial complex, you need permanent forever wars. So, here we go, number 15, please, Cambodia
9: in 70. President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion, but it lasted for 2 months. The purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines, but at times that mission was extremely dangerous. Gary Shepard reported the combat of one American unit.
10: Bravo Company, 5th Battalion, 7th Cavalry, moved into Cambodia two weeks ago and has met with continuous heavy enemy contact. In 14 days, the company has fought against North Vietnamese forces on 20 separate occasions. Cameraman Norman Lloyd on assignment for CBS News filmed and recorded these scenes when Bravo Company moved into a large communist bunker complex six miles north of the Vietnamese border. The main enemy force had apparently pulled out, but a rear guard element was left behind to slow down the American advance. The were well dug in, in heavily fortified bunkers like this one, just a few inches of it visible above the ground. One of its occupants was killed during the battle, but two others, who were apparently wounded, somehow managed to slip out, perhaps to die in the dense jungle only a few yards away. When the fighting ended, the men of Bravo Company moved into the camp. The main buildings burned to the ground. The next morning Bravo Company has hardly moved more than a few hundred yards when it runs into an enemy ambush.
11: Up there, get a light. Move it up there.
3: You got your squad and tie into the left.
10: During the first few minutes of the fighting, Bravo Company suffers one man killed and three wounded. The medics work furiously to patch up those who are still alive, while the rest of the company pours a sheet of fire at the enemy positions. Bravo Company began its campaign inside Cambodia with 123 men. Its strength is now down to 89, and Lieutenant Lewis is the third commanding officer in four days. The first was killed in action, the second was wounded. Yeah. Lieutenant Lewis says, despite the fact that the company is down to two officers, himself and one other lieutenant, the men's morale is still high. But the tension of the past 14 days of combat is written on each man's face as he waits for the order to move out again, down another jungle trail, to some place where he knows the enemy is waiting.
0: This kind of. Uh, what would you say? Continuous fighting is very caustic in a society, this kind of continuous death. And I'm not going to lay this all at the feet of Reagan because it had developed after World War II. Reagan was that transition figure who made empire and deficit spending into something beautiful. America. His theme song was actually Make America Great Again. He appealed to. The previous power structure of this country, which was really white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestants, that's who it was. We heard Mitt Romney's father railing against these people on many previous podcasts. He really motivated these people and brought them together and legitimized deficit and war, made it into something, you know, kind of a great hit that we all could get behind to unify us. Was it really unifying? Oh, while well, this was going on, this unification around empire and deficits, meanwhile back home, please play, numbers, please play number 16.
7: One of the largest peace demonstrations in history was held last October in Washington. More than 50,000 persons took part, and thousands of them marched on the Pentagon to protest the war. A leader of that demonstration was Jerry Rubin, a radical activist of the so-called New Left. We recently
4: asked him his view of the limits of dissent. We're living in the middle of a beast. Lyndon Johnson is a common murderer, and he should be arrested for murder. There are no limits to dissent. I I think the peace movement should have the anger of a Vietnamese woman whose child was burned by napalm, dropped by American planes, way up there in the sky. That's the anger the peace movement should reflect. The peace movement's gotta go into the streets, and it's gotta use the tactic of disruption because the American people are drunk with apathy, because they don't care. Our country is now in the situation that Germany was in in the 40s. We're committing mass murder. Governor Wallace, speaking in
7: Akron, Ohio last month, gave his views on the limitations of dissent. Students who raise money and blood and clothes for the Viet Cong Communists, send it overseas to help use against American servicemen, and those who speak and call for the victory of the Communists in the name of academic freedom are giving morale support and are aiding and abetting the enemy in Hanoi, Peking, and Moscow. And if I were the president, the first thing I would do is have my attorney general drag some of these bearded professors making such speeches before a grand jury and indict them and send them off to the penitentiary for what they are traitors.
5: Because they are traitors. Mm.
0: That's good. That's good. So you can see things are kind of coming apart at the seams back home. The front piece was empire and deficit spending. Behind the line, back home, protest and counter-protest. And let's play very carefully number 18, where the future President Reagan beats down a professor. Because President Reagan and George Wallace, hey, they agreed about this. Take a listen to this one.
7: Once the dogs of war are unleashed, you must expect that things will happen, and people being human will make mistakes on both sides. But this violence, this violence was precipitated. And I would like to say one more thing, Professor. If we're going to start simply from when an incident takes place after the violence has started, and say, "Oh, well, this has now become the issue, I would like to propose that the issue is that on the campuses, you who are adults, you who are entrusted with those young people and their guidance, have a responsibility to make it plain to them from the very beginning that you yourselves do not tolerate the kind of conduct that has led to the burning of Wheeler Hall, that has led to two murders on the campus we of UCLA.
4: We have made that
10: clear over and over But we have made that clear over and over again, and I think you know
4: if you stop talking for politics, that the overwhelming majority of the faculty and students are against violence, have done more to curb violence than you. I think violence
10: escalates precisely because every time there's a regents' meeting, the chancellors of all nine campuses have to scurry around and see if they can put an end to negotiations so that the governor doesn't come to the regents' meeting and get them fired, as he has already done before. You've created an atmosphere for the campus where listen. no one wants to listen. No, you no are one. a liar.
7: Now, don't you talk about political speeches. Don't you make a political speech of that kind and charge me with going and trying to fire chancellors. I have fought to keep politics out of that Board of Regents and out of the running of the university and will continue to.
0: Well, that's a very kind uh, (laughs) Grandpa Reagan. Right in the center of it, aligned with George Wallace, beating down the professoriate. I remember this because I was there. All this was going on. These are the people, the heirs of this period are running the Republican Party. They're running the country. Neocons will spend every dollar I ever make in pursuit of their wet dream of world domination. That's who these people are. They're insane. Insane people that are arrogant, that are filled with hubris, and have no borders or limits to their own personal ambitions. They're not doing things for my family. They're doing things for the world. Oh, isn't that nice of them? It's time for those people to be moved out of the way by a new generation of leaders, and we're going to do that together here at Free People in the Professor Penn Podcast. Please go to my social media. Now, while all this was going on, and I'm going to say it mostly in the so-called white world, protests about the war, the erection of empire, money spending you know this was one part of the equation let's take a look at the other part while this was going on back home could you play number 19 just because it's so it just picture worth a thousand words play this
3: please
0: a lot of change for white America to deal with here. A lot. Things are changing. We had this religious worldview. It became a scientific empire military worldview. Reagan was the bridge. We had all this dissent coming from the new left. We had the black community out in the streets. It was very divided. Let's take a look at number 20 because this was a a watershed moment in American history.
9: The United States leads the Olympics in medal awards and is just about supreme in the sprint races thanks to men like Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Yesterday, they came in first and third in the 200-meter dash and then stood on the victory platform with bowed heads wearing black socks and gloves in a racial protest.
0: There are pictures of the famous Olympic protest, hands covered by black gloves lift, lifted in a salute to black power as the flag goes up. Oh, this was not well received. This was considered an act of sedition by the prevailing power structure. beautiful scene of resistance. What we need to do at every political gathering, we need to resist tyranny, as was being done right here. This is the resistance to tyranny. This is bravery and courage on display for the entire world to see.
11: Iconic.
9: the Olympics, there was a furor in this country over a threatened boycott by Negro athletes. Then most of them decided that participation in the Olympic would further the cause of civil rights in this country and abroad. The Negro athletes wear buttons reading Olympic Project for Human Rights. There were some boos in the stadium last night. ABC Sports Editor Howard Cosell spoke to Tommy Smith after he accepted his gold medal.
4: Tommy, would you explain to the people of America exactly what you did and why you did it? First of all, Howard, I would like to say I'm very happy to have won the gold medal here in Mexico City. The right glove that I wore on my right hand signified the power within black America. The left glove my teammate John Carlos wore in his Left hand made in art, my right hand to his left hand also signify black unity. The scarf that was worn around my neck signified blackness. Juan Carlos and me wore socks, black socks without shoes to also signify our poverty. And this is the motivation, the symbolism of what you did. Now, do you think you represented all black athletes in doing this? Uh, I can say I represented black America. Uh, I'm very proud to be a black man, as I said earlier, to a, and also to have won the gold medal. And this, I thought, uh, that I could represent my people by letting them know that uh, I'm proud to be a black man.
0: Well, the division. We're at this state central committee meeting. There was 400, 500 people there. I counted four African-American people. Uh, Maybe there was five. There was no black people there. Uh, That's not an accident. That's because the people that control the power, that have dedicated themselves to preserving empire and deficits, to fund that empire, keep out through their racism and anti-Semitism, the massive wave of people that really have had it with the Democrats. We've got to depose these people and get them out of power. They can stay in the po- in the party. I'm not exclusionary. You just cannot lead because your thinking is outdated, at best. At worst. It was always evil. The division. Here's the division. It's over the budget, it's over the endless wars and empire, and it's over the relations among we the people. Please play number 21.
3: But what about the civil
6: rights? I mean, it's necessary. What nece- about the civil rights?
3: Well, we have 20 million blacks on this continent. Right. It was necessary to extend rights to them that perhaps for the her- first 199 years, were denied them in this in, in this free America?
7: I guess that uh, they've had a, a pretty tough break, but uh, uh, not quite as bad as uh, you and your do-gooder friends would uh, have them believe. They live as well here as they live in any other country over that 199 years. True, I think they do have a right to more rights, but it isn't a, a thing where... Well, the rest of of the uh, country should feel terribly guilty about anything because they have had a better life here and their fathers and mothers than they would have had anyplace else.
0: That's great. Hey, guess what? You know, black people were slaves all over the world. Why complain and wherever you would have been, you'd have been a slave. Welcome to the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's John Wayne for those that don't know him. John Wayne is kind of the master archetype of which Ronald Reagan was drafting on. They were kind of the same guy, to young people like me. Let's get a little bit deeper into Reagan's thinking, racial thought, play number 22. Oh, this is a beaut.
14: Some surprising audio recordings have surfaced of a phone conversation nearly a half century ago between President Richard Nixon and future President Ronald Reagan. The recordings were released by the National Archives and they capture the two men using racist language. Here's White House correspondent Paula Reed. President Richard Nixon recorded himself talking to then-California Governor Ronald Reagan in October 1971, the day after the United Nations voted to recognize the People's Republic of China. Reagan had phoned Nixon at the White House to vent his frustration at African delegates who celebrated the vote.
7: And still uncomfortable wearing
14: shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation said today if he said that 50 years ago, he shouldn't have, and he would be the first person to apologize. After talking with Reagan, Nixon called Secretary of State William Rogers and adopted Reagan's racist language. He saw these, as he said, these uh, these cannibals on television last night, and he said, nice, and he said they already wearing shoes the united states is going to submit its fate to that later that month nixon laughed at these comments from his best friend bb rebozo you know that reaction on television was, was
9: proves how they ought to be
3: still hanging from the trees by the tail
14: even in 1971 that language would have shocked the general public president trump has of course come under fire for his racist tweets but he said yesterday he is the least That's racist good person Thank there you. is in
0: 1981 This is Tara Reid telling a story. She wasn't there. I was. In 1981, that kind of talk would not have shocked anyone because we lived in an overtly, openly racist society. I was there, I know, and homophobic and anti-Semitic. And these people that come out of this era are leading Min GOP. Now, I'm not specifically calling anybody a racist. But there was no black people there. Where were they? They want to get off the Democrat plantation and get into the freedom-loving, freedom movement that is the American nationalist movement. They're being blocked by these people. And these people, oh, they just glorify the military, military. I saw a thing just this morning when one of these people was putting somebody else down because he hadn't served in combat, as if the only people qualified to lead this country are people that have killed other people. And to this I say, B.S. These people are dumb. Just dumb. Like when any regime comes to the end, it gets decrepit, it becomes corrupt. It's time to sweep away this group of corrupt neocons and replace them in the roles of power with American citizens that have sacred honor. Let's play number 23 to see how deep this went with Mr. Reagan.
1: In 1980, Reagan returned for a new presidential campaign. He was still calling for welfare reform, but now he was doing so as part of a much broader message. He talked of states' rights and of returning America to a better bygone era. While his message had a powerful appeal to many African-Americans, it seemed like a thinly
5: veiled attack on the progress made since the Civil Rights Movement. He runs on this campaign that's like, listen, we're gonna actually make America great again, and then implicitly in that are, is the idea that making America great means we basically have to kind of put black people in their place. We are taking our country back. We're making it great
1: again. Reagan was setting that tone and black folk were saying, anytime white leaves talking about taking their country back, you know what they mean. They're coming at us with intensity. Reagan made good on his campaign promises by rolling back social programs and making significant spending cuts. His policies had immense consequences for America's already struggling inner cities, as the lack of federal support made the job of black civic leaders all but impossible.
2: Many of the cities where blacks have become mayors and so forth are nothing but garbage cans. Hell, who wants to be the mayor anyway of a garbage can?
4: A great deal of the misery that black America is confronted with today has been exacerbated during the past couple of years with the cuts in basic survival programs that poor people and disadvantaged people have come to depend upon.
7: Ronald Reagan was bad news for black America. Ronald Reagan was a symbol of the repudiation of all of the progress that we had made, and not only the economic and political progress,
1: but the kind of spiritual and symbolic progress made.
0: So there we go. There we have it. Coming to the end of episode 79, Drums of War, State Central Committee. I'm laying out the case that the people that are holding the reins of power, are supporters of empire. They're they're supporters of economic policies that have bankrupted the nation. And they're supporters of social policy that alienates the very people that are required and necessary to save freedom and the republic. That's who they are. And we're going to organize now. You're going to come to my social media. We're gonna to get together. We got a lot of work to do between now and next spring, but we're gonna get it done because it's our mission, our mantle, our, our responsibility to come together and devote ourselves to the restoration of our republic. I'm all in on this. I want you to be all in on it. I want every American citizen to be all in on this. We have a beautiful country. We have a beautiful history. We have beautiful institutions and founding documents. They need to be revived. There's nothing wrong with our country or our institutions or our founding documents. It's the people who have taken positions of power while we lived, so to speak, off the fat of this beautiful land. They need to be replaced by new participants that come into these roles with sacred honor who care about the well-being of the people, and we will very quickly make America great again, not just for one group, but for all American citizens, all of us, all of us together. Go back and look at Martyrs and Icons. This experience is all of our experience. All of us will come together in one great movement. We are one great American family. And the people that are obstructing this, well, they're either dumb or evil. And again, I no longer care which. They laid glove on me. That was uncalled for, and it was intentional. So to Dave Osmick, I'm looking forward to seeing you again, partner. Try it again. Please, shoot your best shot. And to all the people in the hierarchy up on the stage, you know who you are. We had three national committee people up there that support an RNC that is working day and night against the movement of the people, you're going to fail. Your time is up. Here we come, the American people rising up in dignity, in honesty, nonviolently, with great sincerity to love one another. So I'm going to end with uh, two pieces. One, which is going to give all of us a lot of hope, a lot of hope, because this is what's really going on. We're going to check out the real situation now. Please play number 24.
11: city of Chicago and any Republican candidate in the city of Chicago, now is your time because we are done with the Democratic Party. We're in the and the President of the have shown right. us what they think about the black community all over this country. And so we're standing to here today to say okay, if that's what it is, we win it. We don't have the Democratic Party. Right, right. We don't have to continue to sort, support people who are not going to support us. And the Democratic Party here in this city, in this state, and in this country is not supporting us. You got the Republicans on one side and the Democrats on the other side. Guess what? They're part of the same bird. That's right. But two So it doesn't matter anymore which party we go with. But I tell you this. I'd rather deal with the snake that's outfitting himself of the Republican Party than the snake that's covered up in the Democratic Party. We're not going to continue to stand for this. We're not going to continue to allow our state representatives, our congressmen, our aldermen, and our mayor to let us know that we don't matter. just like you're going to show us that we're going to matter, we're going to show you. It's going to be a great day in the city of Chicago when a Democratic convention comes here, and then they found out in March that a lot of black voters took Republican ballots. Deal with that.
0: Deal with that. Oh, I love this lady. She's fantastic. And I say to the hierarchy of the Minnesota Republican Party, deal with that. These people are coming. If you were smart, you'd make a home and embrace the American citizens that are coming to give their heart to the people, you'd embrace us, but, of course, the reason you don't embrace us. And for those that were getting down on Professor Penn because this unity thing does not move me, I want to remind all my viewers and listeners, I went into the party knowing that they were assholes, but I went in with an open mind, tried to serve the party, tried to build the party, And then we had, you know, a national committee person say, we don't do that here. That's Mr. We don't do that here. That would be called do politics. I'm just supposed to knock on doors and lick envelopes. Hey, screw you. I'm in this for politics. Number two, Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. That's right. Don't build the party because of course these people are going to lose power if we have we, the people in the party. And then there was that Ex-military intelligence, and there is no such thing as ex-military intelligence, Mr. History doesn't matter. That's why we're doing the Professor Penn podcast. So all of us can see the history together and look at it from four street corners and try to understand how we got here. It's these military intelligence people that want to make us dumb so that they can control us. Well, we're getting smart. Hey, partner, history does matter, and we're going to become experts in history. So, that our future can be informed by what happened in the past. So, we're coming peacefully. We're coming with ideas, but we're coming with strong intent to restore the Republic. And on that note, I want to thank you for joining. Go to my social media. We're going to start pushing out this content. We need to build a network of delegates that are all seeing the same content and communicating with each other here in Minnesota as we move into this election year. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it quickly and we're going to do it with your help because I know you want to help because when you walked up to me at the convention, you wanted to help. And boy, was that uplifting. I'll be back on Thursday, God willing. And again, if I'm ever not here, go over to Rumble because we'll be there. Love the live chat. Looking forward to the live chat. This is Monday morning, the 11th. This is going to go up. It's going to be Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. on the 12th. And I want to leave. With a little bit of music, because music is so uplifting. And I, as a musician, know phenomenal artistry. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the artist George Duke, but George Duke was a master. So let's go out with George Duke. I wish you well. I look forward to seeing you, and let's get it together. Thank you very much.
3: To love it, the sunny evenings, the fun we
5: used to say. Looking through the memories in my mind. Since I've been crying, thought it over. Now I realize that it's never over, only satisfied.